Our guest today is Dr. Kevin Ahern, who's in his 26th year in education and serving in his seventh year as the principal of Monta Vista High School in Danville, California. Monta Vista is part of the San Ramon Valley Unified School District, is a 2021 California Distinguished School and a designated No Place for Hate School. Before moving to the East Bay, Kevin served as the principal at Golden Sierra Junior Senior High School in the Black Oak Mine Unified School District for five years. Before becoming the principal, he spent one year as a high school assistant principal, one year as a K-8 assistant principal, and 13 years as a German teacher and football coach. Dr. Ahern graduated from UC Davis with a degree in English, earned his teaching credential, administrative credential, and master's degree in curriculum and instruction from Chapman University, and earned his doctorate in educational leadership from St. Mary's College. Dr. Ahern and his wife have five grown children and three grandchildren. They are both excellent cooks, avid hikers, and cross trainers. They are currently living in the East Bay with their two Cocker Spaniels. I am thrilled for you to listen to Dr. Ahern's conversation. And for reference, this conversation was recorded October 5th, 2021. Let's get to the episode. I'm educational justice coach, Lindsay Lyons. And here on the Time for Teachership podcast, we learn how to inspire educational innovation for racial and gender justice, design curricula grounded in student voice, and build capacity for shared leadership. I'm a former teacher leader turned instructional coach. I'm striving to live a life full of learning, running, baking, traveling, and parenting because we can be rockstar educators and be full human beings. If you're a principal, assistant superintendent, curriculum director, instructional coach, or teacher who enjoys nerding out about co-created curriculum with students, I made this show for you. Here we go. Dr. Kevin Ahern, welcome to the Time for Teachership podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to a fun time here. So it should be awesome. Awesome. I'm so excited. I just read your professional bio. So if there's anything you want to add to that, um, any school context, any, you know, about you information that you want the listeners to know, please feel free to do that. I'd love to hear some more. Sure. This is my 26th year in education, uh, with 13 years as a, as a teacher and, and in my among other things was I taught, I taught German and I also was a head football coach. So how many people have that conversation, but I did, I did grow up bilingually that experience of having, you know, learning language, the same, you know, two languages at the same time. And then, um, and then made that transition into, uh, in the, in the administration, K-8 principal, and then, um, and then, or sorry, one K as a K-8 vice principal, and then as a, a, as an assistant, assistant principal at all, and then um, the rest of the time, um, this is my 12th year now as a principal. So my seventh year at Monta Vista High School, Danville, California, 2,400 kids, um, 150 teachers and support staff, and it's just an amazing place to be. And, and really just, just growing like crazy and, and, and really excited to be back after the pandemic. Oh, that's great. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think one of the first things I like to ask is just this idea of, you know, thinking big is really important to me and to, I think, our listeners, a lot of educators. And so uh, Dr. Bettina Love talks about the idea of freedom dreaming. And she says, you know, their dreams grounded in the critique of injustice, which is a quote I just absolutely love. And so with that in mind, you know, what is the big dream that you hold for the field of education? Well, I think that that, that a lot of it's based. And I, I think that, that yeah, we tend to think on society and societal levels and, and what we need to do, what every single school needs to do based upon what society thinks. And I think that there's got to be that on the ground work as well. But I don't think that has a lot of meaningfulness unless your community can buy into what you're about. And so one of the things I really you know, push in our community is, yes, we, we're, we're a high academic school. Yes, we're, we're good in athletics. We have amazing VAPA programs, so ways to get connected to school. But ultimately, despite all that, despite the grades, despite all the activities, 
what, you know, how does that unique experience shape our kids? And because we live in a very privileged community, you know, how does that privilege allow, like look deeper into ourselves and come out with an experience that helps use that privilege as a way to be- make things better around, around us. And in our, in our, as we move out to the student school from this school all over the US, all over the world. And so what, how, what tools students to, and lenses can we give students to just take a look at what, you know, what, um, what, what needs to be done, what needs to be handled, how they can, how they can best and empower others to make those those positive things happen. And so, um, so as a that's that's my my big dream. And it, and it's obviously it's just at, at, a, at a at a micro level compared to the high schools across the U.S. But at the same time, is how does that how do you scale that concept out? That if we were all working towards those ends, you know, and and then you know what what could we do with that? What how, how much better would we be? That's a wonderful dream. That's that makes so much sense, right? The community level and the society level, and thinking about that dual like way to hold both of those things right in our minds as we lead change. So that's, that's brilliant. Um, and I think one of the things that is a struggle for some people who are in a very traditional school or, you know, a way in a way they may feel isolated, you know, like I want to do these things, these things sound great, but maybe no one else in my school is talking about this or, or no one else is thinking this, um, or maybe they're thinking it, but they're not taking action. And I, I'm just curious to know what mindset shifts do you think are required or what mindsets do you hold or does your staff hold that would really like help people buy into and fight for the dream you describe? Or in, in the case of you, you and your staff, you know, that have really helped to mm-hmm. elevate kind of that dream in your own community. So I think we guys always start with what we have. You know what, and, and and you know what connects gets. When I when I speak with with incoming freshman parents, I always say that you know our goal always is have your student wake up in the morning excited about coming to school, because they're to be doing work in a doing work in a safe environment and going home feeling fulfilled. It's just you know it's, it's not a it's just kind of a Simon, Simon Sinek type concept, but I think that as a vision. You know, we want we want adults to feel the same way. If I'm a teacher and, and I, if I feel as if I'm just passing papers across and I'm not giving latitude to change anything outside of my what, what I'm being scripted to do, then you know, then then it, the joy of teaching becomes a, a, just a chore. And we I, and so I don't want people that want teachers to feel that they're paper dispensers just as much as as um, as kids feel as if there's this transaction about you know here here's here's the worksheet I'm turning it in for X amount of points. So the question goes back into the of what latitudes do we have to create meaningful opportunities for kids? And because that creativity really helps teach problems. So one of the first things I, I've done when I came to Monta Vista was, you know, we don't want to be risk averse. We want to be open to the idea of, of trying different things. And, and this whole, the whole yes and concept where, you know, that sounds like a great idea. You know, let's take a look at it and, and, and start small. And and then take a look at you know is this and, and let's say that you have a very lesson you're trying to do and you and, and you're eliciting feedback from your kids and you're getting observations from observations from from your um, from your administrators and so on. What you know what, what are the results? Is, nothing's ever 100% success the first time through. Nothing's ever 100% failure. Is this something that you want to be need to work through and and and, and continue to work with? If, if it's something that's that's you struggled with or if it's a complete success, what could you do to further refine it? In the case. It was more like uh, this because the school has always been a very high achieving school. Um, I, I, as as a as a metaphor of Formula One racing, how do you how do you get that that super multi million dollar car to get you know half a mile a gallon better gas mileage and go five miles an hour faster? I mean, so we have to so we have to ask that question as um, as we walk in as a new principal, you're walking into a new school. 
is this a complete teardown and I'm and, and I'm gonna need to, you know, take that role or I'm gonna take some time to listen to the staff and understand the culture and then think about how I can optimize in certain areas. So, and, and then, and you might have a combination thereof. You might have to break some structure and you might have to optimize others. So I'll go back to the original question. How do we, so, so, you know, a needs assessment going around and just really listening to people, where are the strengths, how are students connected to school and, and how do you build out from there? Because, and again, listening to parents and students and, 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 and staff is extremely important to be able to, you know, make those changes. But I think that coming in and thinking like coming in like a wrecking, wrecking ball doesn't necessarily work either. So I think that there's, there's things people hold on to and, and most schools have, have some assets to hold on to. And I think you need to take a look at how those are, how those are working and then how do you branch out and so like for example you have one really strong BAPA program how do you if your marching band's awesome but your choir's not what, what's happening you know where's the, where's the disconnect and then also you then and then gradually here in year seven we also have over 40 new staff members and so what happens is is that over time you could start bringing in people who same values and then you get that further tipping point for change I love that. I love that recognition that I always think of adaptive leadership and, and the idea of resistance as loss. And so sometimes when we think about like making this new change, there's, there's this resistance and it's like, mm -hmm. well, I see it as like a loss of the identity I once held or the school culture mm -hmm. we once had. And I love that your response really honors that, like honors that loss and like, okay, well, sometimes we're going to make these changes. And then other times we want to hold on to those good pieces so we can have both. And I think that really speaks to the challenges of navigating change and leading change in those ways. So I really, appreciate you saying that. Thank you. Um, as we think about, and you started talking about this a little bit in terms of like doing a needs assessment and, and, you know, what specific actions we want to take to, to really bring out those mindsets. You spoke to, you know, hiring to people who share the same values and, and there are all these, these little actions that were kind of in your previous answer as well. Is there anything else you would add in terms of, you know, what can educational leaders do to continue to build those capacities in their staff and really lead an equitable school? So I think the other piece too, and this has to do with really understanding the priorities and, and, and let's, let's take a step back and talk about what, what is your operational definition of equity? And so, and so quite often we, we throw that word around and we necessarily and really understand what that means and, 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 and looking through a variety of different districts and their, and their visions and their, and their equity statements that they've made. Um, there's some very good ones out there. And, and to bring it down to brass tacks and kind of keep it out of the, you know, the education lingo, you know, my, my, my working definition for staff is, is every student gets what they need to, to experience success. And, and, that, and, that those, and then we live, so we're, we're always in the process of eliminating barriers and their race, disability, gender, um, you know, their sexual orientation, you know, whatever, whatever I'm talking about. Um, that's, that, that's not going to, that is not going to, they're not going to have a barrier that, that, that they're working towards sort of, of creating these pockets that we're going to be pushing different kids and these, and another thing for these kids, it's, we're going to, you know, eliminate barriers and ensure kids are going to be successful. And we need to listen to the students when, when things come up where, you know, if, I mean, I, 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 I um, have a degree in English um, as well. I mean, I speak German from home so I can fake it. So I got, that sounds terrible, but I, I, but having being being bilingual, it gives you some it gives you some some tools in, in for getting jobs. And I did enough courses to be able to get a credential in German, but I also have a credential in English. And it always perturbs me when people say, "I want to teach this novel," and and it's always well, it's always the same novel, right? And it's and I think to myself, you know, why are we always focus on dead white guys? And I recall when I was a student, in student teaching, when we were um, this, the school I was at was was contemplating House on Mangoes. And so the idea of bringing more 
um, you know, in the nineties with multiculturalism into the, into, 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 um, in the English departments. And, and, and because there was a, there, there was, there was a scene that didn't necessarily, you know, fit, fit the, you know, maybe goes PG 13 regarding schools. People were very averse to, 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 you know, having that book included in the curriculum. I'm thinking to myself, wow, have you read experience recently? There's a lot of dirty jokes buried in there that, that, that we seem to be okay with done, you know, 500 years ago, somehow it gets the pass. So, I think that that really thinking about what what's out, what books are out there that engage more kids, because it, you know students want to hear want to read about who they are too. And so as 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 we, as our our schools you know have you know embrace broader diversity and broader cultures coming through and 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 understand and we need to have a better understanding of that. And I think that that having our curriculum refl reflect that is extremely important. So listening to kids, really listen and listening to our to our community. Um, one of the more poignant things we did as a, as, as a community, we actually we did it. We, did, we all read um, Stamp from the beginning, the the student version. As a, as though we we bought I don't know like two thousand copies of the book, and and the, and the, the we read the we had parents and kids and 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 staff all read, and we and we got together numerous times throughout the year to check in and talk about you know that um, the, the all the the concepts brought up and, and what, what how we can grow as a community and make sure that we're we're, we're thinking about that part of our history. Uh, and, and, and it really brought some very interesting conversation. And obviously now we're going to do, do it again and coming back from the pandemic, what the next book's going to be. So I think that you can take curriculum in a, in a broad and not just engage students in what's happening in the classroom, but also think about what really represents your community. What sort of conversations do you have about race or ethnicity or gender or, or you know, LGBTQ status, whatever. I mean, all these things are, are, are important because these are all example, they're all representatives of, of people who are in our community. Yes, there's societal pieces to it, but the community piece is extremely important because that's really where the tough conversations go on and where the and, and where the and where we can bear fruit as well. Yeah, I love oh my gosh, I love so much about what you just said. And I love that you did this book study in a way that I think sometimes schools do book studies in a way that is just restricted to teachers or educators or people on staff. But I love that you incorporated like all of the members of the community because I think, like you said, that's where that's where the fruit comes, right? Like that's that's the that's the generative conversation that really moves the needle forward for your immediate community because everyone's going to have different responses to the book, right? Everyone's going to have different ideas about how to move forward. And if we don't actually have that conversation with everyone having the same context going in of like, all right, we're grappling with these ideas and then we're bringing our own personal ideas and experiences, we're never going to get to that point of generative conversation like you did. So I'm really impressed that you guys are doing that. And I love that idea of repeating it, you know, each year with a, with a new book. Um, I also wanted to ask you a little bit about you know, the idea of how school culture more broadly, and I think you've spoken to this in a variety of ways already, really supports equity. And, you know, how, how, how was it that you kind of set up these systems and what systems, I guess, and structures exist to have family members and students and teachers have these ongoing conversations with one another? Because I think just hearing, you know, that the, the book was extended to all these stakeholders probably would feel like a really large undertaking for a school that has not a great history in terms of having that familial involvement and the student involvement in these kinds of large scale conversations. So I'm curious to know, you know, what did that look like in terms of building that base or foundation? So um, it's a lot of, a lot of trust, a lot of empowering people. I mean, um, you know, I think that the biggest piece is, 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 you know, with, starting with staff because we, we 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 talk about what we could we, like like i don't like to use the term but we can control but you know we but we can be responsible for our actions in our in, in our relationships and i think that 
really getting the building the trust that you know that that our our staff can trust me to do to, to make a tough decision that may not necessarily be the most popular sometimes but but I will I will make a make a decision based upon what you know um, what you know what's what's the best for the most people and I will elicit feedback I mean I mean my the leadership team I work with you know with assistant principals but our activity athletic or our, our, um, our activities director athletic director we have a number of teacher leaders our department chairs are always involved in the decision making process so but that trust is that we uh, that if, if it's a half decision there I'm going to elicit conversation in the staff. And so there's that first piece. And then there's the empowerment of people that you want to really empower your teachers to, as I said earlier, doing different things, you know, give them you know, not be risk averse, start thinking about what kind of a school you really want to have. And so and, and that point, identifying who the players are, and then think about, you know, who's going to help build this out, who's, you know, if, if the English department is really excited about something, you know, that's, you know, let's lay it out and then, and then figure out, hey, you know, what, how else can we run with this? You know, if you, if you, if the goal is to create a, a more diverse set of, of novels for students to read, how are you going to, how we want to roll that out? What approvals do we need or what readers workshops do you want to do and what funds are available to make that happen? Um, in the shift, in, so, so in, in, in the shift to, in, to NGSS, our biology team has completely gone, gone, gone you know, and taken a leadership role as a initially as a school but then as a district program that they're just you know running kinds of stuff in regards to not just not just but equity and 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 um and and overall access for students and recognizing science accomplishments from all over the world i mean it's just pretty it's really amazing program so i think that giving people that latitude empowering them to make those changes then there's a student element so how do you bring students in and in, the, in those conversations and so one of the, when we have our site council, mind you, also includes parents. You know, um, it used to be that it was, you know, we had arm twist people to come. We had one student rep and we had like two parents. We now have contested elections for, um, for both student and parent representatives. And so our stat council is a full, full group um, with teachers, you know, teachers and parents and students. Um, we, one of the first things we say is we're all equal in this in this conversation, and so this is that we're eliciting feedback here, and so when we're including students in the conversation and parents in the conversation, and knowing that they have a role in the decision making process of the school, um, and and anything we say gets relayed into the department chairs, and then turn around and also being relayed into, into our into our staff meetings, that constant conduit is going on as well. Then we also create leadership groups on the campus. Um, we obviously have your traditional ASB student council. We I, I meet with uh, the ASB um, cabinet twice uh, twice a month. I also meet with the senior class officers twice a month. And then we also um, meet what we call the the affinity affinity groups. Um, so any club that's associated with an affinity group, um, whether it's Black Student Union, um, GSA. Um, Muslim student organization, Asian student. You know, I mean, we have a number of different different groups tied in, but we also include, you know, um, you know, more traditional fellowship of Christian athletes, Christian club. I mean, we try to include as many as, uh, of these affinity groups as possible. We meet, we meet, we try to meet quarterly. We, we didn't do a very good job at last year, but we try to meet quarterly. Um, the pandemic hit, so we'll go back into that now, um, end of this month. The point behind that is, is that we want to get the feedback from those students. You know, are, are we really reflecting, you know, as a, as a school community, what are we really reflecting, what we're doing and, and how are decisions affecting you? So all those things tied together and, you know, with students empowerment is, is it creates that additional connection um, that kind of flows back with staff or bought into that content. 
And last, we have we have very active parent groups. We have a very active um, um, we have a very active PTSA to over a thousand members. And then um, and then we also have um, we also have an, an athletic boosters, boosters, and numerous um, visual boosters clubs. We meet um, we meet monthly um, with a patient monthly boosters. Um, uh, the athletic boosters meets um, meets monthly as well. PTSA, I'm very active with them as well. So I mean, basically, it's from from a principal standpoint, you you, you want to make these contacts. But when people understand what you're trying to do, and you're communicating those consistently to those groups, and people are hearing the same message, and and, and as an offshoot as well for pandemic. Our, our attendance these meetings have grown substantially. It's much easier to turn on the turn on the um, uh, a Zoom meeting or a Google Meet a Google Meet as opposed to having to actually show up at school. So I think that all these things are ways for getting messages out and getting buy-in to what's going on, and also creating a two-way opportunity to to, um, to just communicate. Then I also have one more I have less formal um, device that I've used in order to get communication out and involve all. And it's been probably for parents as I as at least once a month I have a coffee. And once again, pandemic has gone from like five people who are willing to brave early morning school traffic to you know anywhere between 20 to 75 people in the morning. Um, and basically those are chances to sit and once again, have some real one-on-one conversations. We do we'll create, we'll have a, a question sheet that goes out a couple of days earlier to kind of create some big, some big piece questions if necessary, like something going on. But typically it's just an opportunity for parents just to ask me questions about what's going on at school and, and build in the, empowerment where you know it's 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 the you know you have to you have to pay your way into an audience with the principal it's 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 you know just being as available as possible i think also again there's two pieces of advice for parent for principal one one would be to show up you know that that it's important for you to go to these various events and 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 because parents want to see you in those in in the in the in the the less formal light i mean we just had homecoming this last this um this last weekend and uh, one of the things that we always do for football for football games is we tailgate and one of the pieces to it is i i'm i'm a, if we put this in my bio i'm a very avid barbecue or griller i mean i'm like you know I'll, i have my I have a smoking rig and all the different things going on well i mean i always barbecue and so i barbecue for staff and for students but this time we barbecue the whole community so we had all kinds of stuff rolling out and and we probably had a thousand people just outside the stadium game and i'm and and my activities director and i are just you know putting down burgers and putting down hot dogs but people see that and it's like wow you know it's like what's up with this person so i think that being out there and being engaged in the process as, as opposed to you know um yes it's great if you're, if you're not good at that then find something you're good at to put yourself out in those positions and it may put your comfort level a little bit but you know it's 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 important to be out and meet with people and be accessible to, to to parents and students in a more informal way whether it's walking around campus at lunchtime walking into classrooms or um or or in, in community events like that and then the second piece is this is this interesting is, is that i um when i was in my doctoral program we said we say a lot of bulb and and so and these the, the four lenses and so you have a cultural lens a political a political lens a human resources lens and an organizational lens and you know and so when we um and when we we did this four corners activity and and, and our instructor asked well where do you land and so i don't, I, I, I went towards cultural and anyway it, we, everything is spread around only one person in the political realm and and i think that people and what's what's the political realm about in education it's about organizing assets to prioritize you know it's, it's and so how do you and among other things how do you how do you get your 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 um your message across and so in thinking about that now is is that is to really you know to have you have to have that effect be effective 
you need to be able to have at least an, a nugget of that, where you can go out and you can you can talk about what you're about, you can talk about what you're trying to do, and really communicate that to your to the people in your community, and and find a way to fit. You might have to adapt that message a little bit sometimes. You might have to sometimes tell people what they don't want to hear, but at the same time is is you're being honest and transparent. There's also it goes back to what we're you know we're talking about programs and kind of creating these you know honoring what's been successful, but it also means the perception that something's been successful, but you really doesn't fit within your concepts. You might you might need to wait it out. And so, how do you how do you take resources, whether it's a budget, which I always think is a value laden statement, but where you prioritize, um, or you know what or how you how you organize your master schedule, whatever it might be your assets need to reflect that, what your vision is. And I think that there's programs that, that are less effective that need to be to be worked on or, or need to be removed, they can be, that you essentially can start working towards something else. And then maybe that teacher who would be less inclined to participate in that P grade English PLC might be more inclined to want to get participate because, because the, the, there's, there's more assets going to those who are playing than those who are not. And so, so the idea of really forcing people to make a decision, but doing it in a way that, you know, hey, you know something, I'm, I'm not going to take, take your livelihood away, but I, mean, I want you to do it my way. And you get all this if you follow that direction, if that makes any sense. So it's just, it's just, it's just an interesting way of that political lens that, that, that to get what you want, sometimes you have to really feed, you want to feed what you're trying to, um, what you're trying to work with. Essentially, you're watering the green grass and not worrying about the brown grass, the, the dead grass over there. <laughs> so... Wow, there was so much wisdom and what you just shared. So many actions that people could take. And and I love, I was just thinking as you were talking about the prioritization piece and the value statement is like your budget is a value statement of what you prioritize. Oh my gosh, yes. And I also think for just what I was hearing and, and please correct me if this is wrong, but what I'm hearing too is that you prioritize how you spend your time effectively too. Like you're thinking about being in classrooms, you're thinking about meeting with affinity groups and student leaders and, and that takes time. But I think what I'm hearing is like that, that's a priority for you, right? Like it's a priority to make time for those things, especially when educators, leaders, people just in the education space collectively just never feel like they have enough time. There's always so much that we have to do, but to be able to do that, to be able to make that time, it sounds like that has been a concrete priority for you to be able to be accessible. Is that a good interpretation? Absolutely. I think that that's something that, um, that again, it's it's the only way I know how to do it. And it may, it might've helped because I started at a small high school. And so easier um, at at a high school of 550 students, but experience, you know, the recession hit that community so hard, we end up having to, um, to, to bring the seventh and eighth grade up. And so to spend time carving out, going from a high school, junior, senior high school model, um, that was a heavy lift because a lot of people want to do that. And so it was creating, you know, it created some real rifts in the community, but, but once we got through there, and probably the, the best, the best validating piece of that, that in our second year, we had a we had a we had a WASCA, WASCA accreditation and received a six year clear. And the chair said, "You would never have thought you went through all this turmoil last year." It's like, yeah, well, that's great, but 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 having but being on the ground and that experience and, and with a smaller school, I mean, it's you need to do it because it's just you and an assistant principal, and that's it. And and so from a supervision standpoint, you you have to be able to prioritize. Is my prior is my are my priorities paperwork or my priorities going to be making building relationships? And so here at a bigger school now, it's a you know someone asked year it must be overwhelming for you it's like well the the scope is the same it's just that instead of having two things to do i now have five and so i, I need to be able to 
delegate differently, but I also imprint that on these on assistant principals and other you know, other other leaders on the campus that it's our all our responsibility to show up and be a, and be present. And so it's just it's great to have, especially great to see new teachers we hire who you know come to their that first that first uh, go to that first band concert or they go to that first football game or they go to that first rally and they say go wow this is absolutely unbelievable. It's like yeah because we're building this stuff and so and that's the type of culture we want to be able to have is, is something that people are feeling connected and that feels good to be together. And that then, then, and that also pushes that idea that, you know, we can do this in the classroom too. We can do this. You can raise academic levels. It, it, it can't all be fun, but at the same time is, is that we definitely can make it continue making it meaningful. And that's a really, and how do you translate those successes into, into, into academic success for kids as well? Wow. That's amazing. Okay. There's so much good stuff in this episode that I'm excited for people to hear. I'm imagining someone listening and being like, wow, I want to do all of this, but I, I want to find a place to start. So with that in mind, what would be something if someone is new to all these ideas that you've just presented, what do you think is a good first step for someone who's just finishing the episode and ready to do like one next thing? I mean, I, I always think that culture, each, each organization, um, all the culture and and you got to figure out where assets are. And so what's, 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 what's great about your school? Sit down and write down the great things and, and then who makes them great? And you, how, do you, how do you water that green grass? How do you figure out how do you really emphasize those things? I mean, I mean, sometimes like there, was, there were times at my old school, we were getting a little school, we're always in competition with bigger schools. And it's like, we, we had a really strong math program and our, and our algebra one scores, this is back in the old API days, our, our algebra one scores were higher than, than, than those at the other, these other bigger high schools. And people thought I was lying. And it's like, no, we have a really good math program. You just, you're just thinking about because you're small, you can't do it. So I think that you sometimes, it just, it, and, and for some, some people, the data like that jumps out. And so what, what's out there that's, that's quantifiable that you can share, that you can really emphasize? And then what's out there is quali what, what qualitative things are out there that you can share. So I think about, just think about all those, those assets and then think about how that can be communicated. Because if, if you're a new principal, you know, the expectation, it's, it's, it's you have this blur of people coming, coming to see you, you got to ask yourself, you know, what's this place about? And so I think, um, and, and really paying attention to what's going, really going on. And then again, then thinking about it, you know, what's, what's great about this place. And if you're a veteran principal and you're trying to, you're trying to optimize and you've, you got to think about, again, what's great about this place and what can we maybe let go? What, what, what are we not so proud of? And, and how do we make those priorities to, to, to make sure that, you know, if something's not serving all kids, then why have it? Um, if it's a, if it's something that's a novelty that you know that serves a small population, or it's a deficit of thinking, or or I mean, one thing we did here a couple when I when I got um what seven years ago, we had a life science program that was a, was a graduation track. We had life science, I'm sorry, and physical science, and the, and these two programs were designed to keep students on um on on track towards graduation. But what were they really were? They were they were um, they were just kind of throwaway ground um, grounds for for students in special education for student and for students of color, and so we got rid of them. And so essentially, we're going to support kids in general ed classes. And so now, take biology, students take chemistry, and and for their graduation requirement, and we get them through because we 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 work as as our, our respective biology and chemistry teams, and our and if it's students in special education to get adequate support from, from the case their, managers, we do a lot of push in. We have co-tots. We have a lot of different opportunities for kids to be successful. So, we we, we anything we see that's a, that's a pigeonhole, we need to get rid of because kids need to be accessed in general curriculum. Every student needs 
the work is again, and kids need to be able to demonstrate their success in different ways. And so one of the big focal points of our district, you know, right now is in our, in our strategic plan is to figure out what success, what does success look like? And so another thing, another little bit of homework for that principal thinking about how they want to shift some things is what does success look like on my campus? And, and, and think about, okay, does that really exemplify what we're trying to do? And if the answer is yes, then then, then you have to ask yourself, and what else can I be doing? If it's answer is no, then you have to say, all right, so now, 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 now what's next? What do, what do I need to focus on? You know, where, where, where are the areas me to build on? And not be a deficit thinker. I think one of the things we get trapped into in education too much is, oh, the scores in this area are too low or scores in this subgroup are too low. Let's build this up instead of, you know, let's remove some barriers for students and, and, and see how they, can, how they can thrive by maybe re success. And, and really getting some narratives from, from, from kids as to what the, um, you know, and hearing from kids what, you know, what, what's working for them, what, how are they connecting. So yeah, I think the pieces there to take into consideration. Awesome. And so th there's so, so much wisdom you, you've shared. And, and I think one of the things that really makes, I imagine you a great leader, as well as all the folks who I've interviewed on this podcast is this commitment to like lifelong growth, right? Like I'm always learning. I'm always growing. I'm always reading that next book and trying this new thing. And so one of the questions I just like to ask for fun at the end of the podcast is what's something you have been learning about lately? Well, that's a good question. I mean, again, we're always learning, but, I, but it's, it's it, I, I, what's funny is, is that, is that I get, I get much out of picking up, an, I get ASCD magazines every, every, every month. And it's like, just looking through what the latest stuff is and, 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 and what, and the little nugget of information about a PLC, how to optimize a PLC um, conversation or some, what key questions can be asked in that PLC or um, how do, how do we make, what, what, what assets are we taking from the, from the pandemic? And, I, and I, one of the more interesting articles I remember reading um, was that, you know, what which students were successful in in remote learning and which and 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 which weren't it was really contingent upon the type of teacher in many ways because teachers who embraced that change and I, I, I remember hearing I think it was I think it was, it was, it was on the Emmy someone was talking about how leaders came to work today you know um, you know, someone was giving a shout out to teachers and 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 medical personnel that in and fire and police people came to work every day and they and you were leaders because you had to do something new every day and so I, I really that's a really great way of encapsulating those teachers who embraced the change and and mind you those tended to be those those teachers who under normal circumstances, are also going to be the ones who are early adopted. It just happened to expand the pool that much more, and so we'd be able to take that. And that's an article focused on what can you take from the, the what you learned during the pandemic and really apply it. Like we've gone to one to one, and so our, you know, gone, we see some people going back to paper for processing, yeah, but but not maybe not so much, and still a lot of things being done on our on our learning management systems. And so I think I think we're we're growing. It's it's definitely a, it's definitely definitely a learning curve because now you have kids in front of you, but at the same time is. Um, you have, um, you know, you now have new and new strategies. We have new tools, sorry, new tools to build in. What strategies do you have now to build in now? They're going to, are going to, you know, use that tool in an effective way to reach that, that, that objective. Now, on the other hand, is what's interesting in the article as well is, is that teachers who tended to talk had didn't, didn't, you know, who, who didn't really adapt, you know, their, their students weren't as less engaged. I mean, it, it seems very, you know, process, simple conclusion, but I think it's important that. We understand that, that that the teachers who really who 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 stuck it out all this time, you know, have been able to ad ad adapt some skills from that pandemic experience and remote learning experience, and create effective um, some, some very effective opportunity, learning opportunities for kids in class in person. 
one thing we we did too was we we went from a seven period day you know if, you know other than being a high school principal i don't know how many how many jobs you have that change change the subject seven seven times over the course of the day we, we're now on a on a block system we have one we have one seven period anchor day and then we have rotating blocks the rest so we go you know we have you know even odd even odd um um schedule and that also has allowed us to have to support and it's, it's interesting is that we talk about deep learning as another one of our strategic plan, but part of our strategic plan. Um, I think that, um, that, that time is so essential for that. And so, and so how you use time and is what, and what's interesting is in Hattie's, in Hattie's visible learning book, he devotes a whole chapter of how, how teachers, how effective teachers break down time and, and the point of how much time is wasted doing attendance, how much time is wasted in a warm-up activity, or, you know, and, 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 and how is that warm-up activity connected to different elements of the lesson? Was it yesterday? Was it connected to the, how is that? And so it's interesting how you can use a larger block of time and create more deep learning opportunities because you're not running out of time after 54 minutes and not having the chance to go in into some, 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 some good levels of guided practice and ensuring students know what to do when they, when they, when they walk out the door. And I'm noticing already that Students are have a better understanding of what they're what's expected of them when they when they when they leave as opposed to um, we have work assigned and then starting the whole wheel over again because I didn't get the homework I didn't understand so now I'm going to spend the first 15 minutes of my 54 minute class going over homework from last night and then that then the new input is now is now compromised because I got to rush through that and then you know repeat so it's just interesting how you use, how you shape your time can even be a way of of, um, of effectively changing your instruction. And so we're still figuring that out. We're still working through it, but I, I'm, there's some real nice glimmers of, of um, real nice glimmers of, of success coming through that. And, and by and large, the staff has really embraced that concept. And I think we're, we're going to move forward with continuing this, 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 this um, the schedule for, you know, and in fact, we might see other schools in our district doing the same. So, so these are all things we really brought in, brought in for that from that pandemic. And, and it, that, that article I had mentioned really resonated with me because those are the type of things we discovered. And, and sometimes the most adverse conditions, you're able to tear some things out and say, look, this is something we really should have been doing way before now. <laughs> so now we're, now we discovered it. I love that you named the pandemic as a learning opportunity because I think it absolutely could have been and was for many people. And then, you know, if we see it as a barrier that like really inhibits our growth. So thank yeah. you so much for sharing that. I love that idea of schedules too. I think it goes back to prioritization, right? Is like, you have block scheduling, like, you know, maybe you have fewer days that you see them, but it's deeper learning each day. So it comes back to what we're prioritizing and, mm -hmm. and making that conversation part of the, you know, unit planning. But the last question I have for you, cause I know you got to get going, mm -hmm. uh, is where can listeners learn more about you or connect with you online? Um, so they, they, people are welcome to reach out to me. I'm on, I'm on LinkedIn just under you know, Dr. Kevin Ahern. Um, I'm also, um, let's also reach out. My, my email here is, is kahern at srbusd.net. And, and I, I mean, welcome to go on the Monomist website, contact me that way as well. But I'm, I'm, I'm happy to meet and discuss and talk, I mean, talk, talk education. It's a lot of fun. And, and, and we have a number of other interesting elements. We have a, a new student support. We do student support four days a week, a 33 minute period for kids or just have kind of a mental, mental break. And we've created a really nice system of how students are checking in. Um, we, we, we use, um, we use, um, those, those, those scanner, we use scanners to have kids come zap, they, they go to an area and zap their, zap their, their, um, ID card, or they go into a classroom as opposed to simply having a set schedule. So a number of different things that, you know, so, so if someone wants to visit, I would love to share, you know, any, anything that people would be interested in. We're just trying, and, and it's all learning experience for us. Nothing's perfect, but, um, but we're really growing. And, and I think that we're definitely in, 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 a, in a positive direction. 
This has been an amazing conversation. Dr. Ahern, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thanks so much for having me. Take care. If you're leaving this episode wanting more, you're going to love my live coaching intensive curriculum bootcamp. I help one department or grade team create feminist, anti-racist curricula that challenges, affirms, and inspires all students. We weave current events into course content and amplify student voices, which skyrockets engagement and academic achievement. It energizes educators feeling burnt out, and it's just two days. Plus, you can reuse the same process anytime you create a new unit, which saves time and money. If you can't wait to bring this to your staff, I'm inviting you to sign up for a 20-minute call with me. Grab a spot on my calendar at www.lindsaybethlyons.com slash contact. Until next time, leaders, continue to think big, act brave, and be your best self. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at teachbetter.com slash podcasts, and we'll see you at the next episode.